Dating later in life has changed. We are rethinking and updating what it means to date today. Welcome to the Later Dater Today podcast. You're not late, you're right on time. And now your host and Later Dater guide, Lakshmi. Okay, so welcome to episode seven of the Later Dater Today podcast. From sitting to swiping, a quick study of the dating industry. I think when we think about getting someone up to speed on modern dating culture, it kind of stays at the level of how to use the dating apps and like what a swipe is and what a super like is and how to message someone and how the different features work. And while I think there's obviously a place for that, I think the piece that's often missing and the piece that I think is especially relevant to the later dater is the recent timeline and trajectory of dating as a business. So today I'm going to give you a really high level, but what I hope is useful overview of the recent history of the dating industry. And I just want this to be like you and I are at a cocktail party. If you want to go in depth on this topic, I'm going to put links in the show notes for Land of the Giants, which is the series I co-hosted on Vox Media, which is a deep dive into the dating industry and how all of these companies started and their origin stories. But I think context and history here is very important for the later dater, especially as I kind of get into the fact that the current configuration of dating and how we date wasn't really built with all ages in mind. And there are two driving reasons for why I wanted to do this. The first was that a friend told me that based on my work, she assumed that I was anti-dating app. And I'm not, And I, but I understand why people think that. And it's a bit of a misconception that I wanted to clear up. I am critical of what I would call like dating illiteracy that I see in the world where, you know, people just sort of download something and don't consider what they're uploading into their lives. So that's what I'm critical of. I'm not critical of the existence of dating apps. I am more concerned about their dominance, right? Because dating apps used to be an option. It was one of many ways that you could meet people, and now it's become the dominant form. And I just think that's something that we should pay attention to. The other thing that happened was on Tuesday evening of this week, I was at George Washington Law School in D.C. to be on a panel about dating apps and data privacy. And it was a really great event, and it was just so nice to be with people who are very concerned and active in understanding how different tech companies and social platforms, how they gather our data and what they do with it and how we can all be responsible citizens. One of the interesting things at the event is this is a room full of lawyers and law students and people that pay attention to stuff. And yet at one point I asked, like, how many of you know about the history of the dating industry and who the big players are and who owns everything? And I think like three hands went up in this room. And I mean, I wasn't like surprised and I don't think that's a bad thing, but it just further illustrated for me how few people like really understand or have any insight into sort of how the industry was developed. And 
I think our tendency is to know more about the return policies on Amazon or the price hikes on Netflix. And I, I get it. I get not only why people don't know, but maybe even why they wouldn't want to know love and romance and relationships. I think we need to hold on to the idea that there's this unpredictable and unknowing magic out there that is linked to a feeling of possibility. And I completely understand that, but I don't think that drawing some awareness to the industry itself necessarily takes away from that. In fact, I think that becoming just a little bit more aware of how these systems were built and by whom and kind of understanding the business timeline can just sort of empower you to make sure that you're holding on to the magic that makes sense for you. So I actually think all of this is really important. And my goal here is not to be like, oh my God, look at all this evil behind the curtain. Like here's the real Wizard of Oz or that the companies are trying to keep you single as long as possible. Like I don't know if that's true. And more importantly, I don't know that it's helpful. My goal here is that I think that when people have baseline knowledge of how things started and awareness of like the big watershed moments, from there, I think the culture of modern dating might just make a little bit more sense to you and ultimately make it easier to process and navigate and really honestly be more understanding of yourself and others so that you can ultimately have a better experience. And as a later dater, I think this knowledge is useful so that you can tap into your pre-dating app sensibilities and wiring. And lastly, if you're a parent, I think this is incredibly helpful because you and potentially your child or your nieces or your nephews or people that you care about are going to be swimming in the same pool, so to speak. Obviously on different ends of the pool, I hope, but it's important for you to know what chemicals are in the water. So just think of this as like reading the back of the label of like your granola or something. You know, you just kind of want to have a sense of what's in there so that you can make a decision about whether you're going to jump in or eat or, you know, whatever. You get what I'm saying. I'm just going to talk to you like we are at a cocktail party. And like I said, if you want a deeper listen into this topic, I'm going to put those episodes in the show notes. So Match, and specifically Match.com, really created this category in the United States. And it started back in 1995. And for most of its first 20 years of existence, It was really just designed to resemble classifieds, like the ones that you saw in the paper. But now they were online. There was a lot of space to write about yourself and what you were looking for. In fact, when I worked at Match, my time there included a stint trying to improve one of the services they had where you could hire a professional writer to write your profile for you. And this is all to say that writing about yourself and the amount that you had to write about yourself back then wasn't so easy then. And I don't even know that it's so easy now either. But the point is that there were pictures, but the whole experience was very text and word-based. The other important part of this time period is that the entire online dating experience was on desktop. 
So the reason why that's important is you literally had to physically sit down in order to experience the product. So at some level, you had to focus. Now, the way that it worked is it was free to create a profile, but only paid subscribers could actually message each other. So you'd have this ecosystem where there were lots of profiles, but only some of them were subscribers and the others were not subscribers. And so one way they would get people to subscribe is you would get like a notification that said like, hey, you know, Bill has sent you a message. And in order for you to read that message, you have to pay and become a subscriber. So that was sort of how they started bringing people in and then charging them. And there were hundreds of other ways that they would try to get you to join and try to make money. But the initial message was always like, join for free. So this clunky little model chugged along, like I said, for almost 20 years. And this relative clunkiness meant that the people who did join were probably highly motivated. And honestly, there were just so many inconveniences and hurdles that you kind of had to care to want to partake in all of this. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't bad actors on the site, but the number of people jumping into this pool was kind of limited in a certain way. Now, this period of dating, which I would sort of call like the 90s and the 2000s, included sites like eHarmony or Chemistry. And these were sites where people had to take these extensive personality tests that could last, I'm not kidding, like two or three hours to complete. And the idea was that if you invested this much time by answering all of these questions, this would lead you to the perfect person. And let's just say if that actually worked, we would all be willing to sit down for a few hours, right? So I'm sure some people met through this, but by and large, these services were very cumbersome to people. Now I'm going to jump to 2009. This is when smartphones started having like mass adoption. So in 2009, Grindr comes on the scene and this is the LGBTQ dating app, but it's primarily for gay men. And it was the first one to use geolocation technology, which smartphones now had. And this is huge because now physical location was factored into who you were shown to and who would be shown to you. And more importantly, you were no longer tethered to your desktop computer. And this fact alone just like really, really changed things. But again, most of the people taking advantage of this technology were members of the gay community. So then in 2012, Tinder comes on the scene. Now, I know it's hard to remember a time before Tinder, but its impact cannot be understated. And here's what you need to know about what was so different about Tinder and why it was so important. So just like Grindr, it leveraged geolocation so that your matches and who was shown to you was determined by where you were. And this added an element of excitement and dynamism. The other most important thing was that Tinder was mobile only. That means you had to use your phone. So remember before that, you had to be at your computer. Tinder made dating an on-the-go activity. The other thing was that you could just register very easily through Facebook and do it in seconds. No credit card, no clunky photo upload process. It was just instant. 
And that meant that people were joining Tinder in droves. Tinder was originally marketed and created by the under 25 crowd and really took off on college campuses. And so all of these people that would have never, ever considered dating online were all of a sudden showing up in these spaces. The other thing to know is that the way that Tinder was designed was to mimic both a game controller and a deck of cards. So they really did want it to feel fun and fast, and it was really trying to appeal to the people that designed it, which were 25-ish year old males. And so it had this really interesting dual feeling of one, being totally in control with the game controller and feeling the randomness of being served a deck of cards. And this was a powerful, potent mix that tapped into a deep psychology that would do this really interesting thing. It would keep people on the app for long periods of time, but also give them this feeling of speed and excitement and of moving through things really quickly. And today we talk about the swipe like it's just a part of life, but the swipe really did change everything. And just to remind you about what the swipe is, the swipe is now the gesture of how you say yes or no to people. And if you're a later dater, your definition of the swipe might be most associated with, let's say, a credit card. But now the swipe has a totally different meaning. It's the way that you say yes or no to someone. So you swipe right if you are interested in someone and you swipe left to indicate that you are not interested in someone. Because this is how online dating became dating on the apps. Your thumb was now your game controller. There was no more scrolling, no more lengthy profiles to fill out. It really became about your pictures and a few headlines. It was a swiping game of speed and snap judgments. And then out there in dating culture land, that also meant that people could be talking to multiple people, chatting with them on the apps and swiping at all hours of the day. And this could lead to other unexpected behaviors like ghosting and treating people as disposable and being disposed of and indecision and choice overload. And I can go on and on. In many instances, the most shallow and most impatient version of people was the one that was getting cultivated. Now, that didn't mean that that wasn't happening before, but the ease of getting on Tinder, the ease of being able to reach out to so many people and quickly match was just sort of transforming the entire landscape. And here's one of the things that's sort of under-discussed, but a really important thing that happened after Tinder is that because it was so popular and because it was so easy to use, it became the de facto design for all dating apps. All dating apps suddenly had to adopt the swipe because that is what everybody imagined dating was like now. So that meant that Match, OkCupid, Hinge, even Bumble, its supposed competitor, all had to create their version of the swipe. And that's just important to remember because you have to think about this interface, the swipe, the way that it feels, the way that it looks, the speed of it was based on a 25-year-old male vision of what dating should look and feel like. And again, it would become how every dating app after it would have to follow. So the infrastructure of dating today, whether you're 25 or 55, is based on this mindset. And that's just important to know. 
Fast forward 10 years, and yes, lots of people have met and matched, but what a lot of people don't necessarily know is that Tinder, OkCupid, Match, Hinge, Our Time, I could go on and on, they are all owned by one group, and that is Match Group. One entity owns all of these apps, so they own the full spectrum of dating options. And again, I'm not saying that this is a good or bad thing. I just think it's something that you should know and you can draw your own conclusions about the implications of that. And while Tinder exploded in popularity because it was free, that meant that all of these people were coming into, I guess I would call it like the stadium of dating. And then after a while, after a few years, naturally, they started charging for a lot of these things. So they brought in everybody for free and kind of got them accustomed to dating this way. And then systematically, they would try and figure out, okay, like now how can we start charging for people? And again, look, I'm not even saying that this is wrong. I just want you to understand this. And now something that's very interesting is that after over a decade of swiping and speed and snap judgments... Now what some of the apps are doing, the existing ones and the new ones, is trying to slow down the process and not offer people as many options, some of them eliminating the swipe altogether. So to wrap up, I just want to say that there are a lot of dimensions to this. And it's not like the dating business is the only one to let people have something for free and then figure out how to charge them later. And this doesn't mean that you shouldn't use it, but use this information as a factor in how you participate in modern dating and how you want to leverage your experience and know-how as a later dater to make the most of it. But the big takeaway here is that I want you to understand just how quickly dating and dating culture has changed, mostly in terms of speed and access. And speed isn't always an improvement. There are downsides. It's worth reflecting on how your behavior is affected by these technologies and advances and decide if this is the version of yourself that you want cultivated. Sometimes I like to think about the differences in modern dating as similar to the difference between manual and automatic transmission. And as a later dater, you probably remember a world with way more manual transmission options. With both, you're still driving a car that you don't fully understand But when you're driving manual or stick, you just have to pay a bit more attention to how fast you're going, when you might slow down, if you see a steep hill coming. You're not just driving the car. You have to feel the car and the road. And even if you don't know how to drive stick shift, you know that driving stick shift means you can't just sit back in the same way and simply press the gas pedal. So don't drive the dating apps or enter modern dating on automatic or cruise control. Take a minute to decide your speed and know what gear you're in, even if you're not sure about the exact destination, because otherwise you might end up somewhere doing things you don't want to do, becoming the version of yourself that is more a reflection of the kind of car you're driving rather than the kind of driver you want to be. Okay, maybe I went too far with that. But just think about that as you decide how, when, and why you want to traverse these dating highways that have changed so dramatically in a short amount of time. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit thelaterdatertoday.com 
and follow us on Instagram where we are visualizing a lot of these concepts if you're more of a visual person. And please share this with anyone that you think might benefit or connect with the later dater message. We'll see you next time.